You're listening to The Second Greatest Show on Earth from New Hampshire Public Radio. I'm Justine Paradise. Hi. Before we start the show today, a quick reminder that at New Hampshire Public Radio, we are shifting our coverage because of the coronavirus pandemic. Everyone's working remotely, and we've decided to take a little step back from Second Greatest for now. You'll still see new episodes in your feed. We'll be republishing some of our favorite work, stories that we've reported in response to listener questions over the past few years. Um, and we still want to hear your questions about New Hampshire on any subject related or not to the coronavirus pandemic. And you can email us with your thoughts and questions at secondgreatestshow at nhpr.org. And today we are sharing a piece we originally reported back at the beginning of 2019. Okay, here's the show. Okay, test. Cool. So can you, can you just describe what, what's going on? Yeah, so this is the out-of-the-closet pop-up swap. It's uh, hopefully the first of many clothing pop-up swaps that myself and Feminist Oasis hope to hold kind of all over the state. This is Polana Belkin. And yeah, LGBT community stuff is just like my entire life. She works at the ACLU of New Hampshire as the Transgender Education and Advocacy Program Organizer. And today she's holding her clothing swap at Teetotaler in Summersworth. It's a cafe and venue. Actually, Polani used to be manager there, and she's still listed as Her Majesty on the teetotaler staff page. It's like a destination venue. People do come here from across the state. It's a chilly fall Saturday, but the doors are open to the rain and the traffic outside. People are trickling in with bags and boxes of clothes. Small, medium, large, large, you know. Now, clothing swaps are often informal get-togethers among friends. People bring the clothes hanging in their closet that they just never seem to wear anymore but are somehow also hard to get rid of. Everyone tries on clothes, often their snacks or wine, and hopefully everyone goes home with a few new great pieces. Polana's clothing swap is a little different in that it's open to the public, and it's specifically meant to serve the LGBTQ community in a way that big clothing stores often don't. It's like, this is the men's section, this is the women's section, Um, There's no, like, feminine men's section, (laughs) masculine women's section, you know, just um, the labels don't do people much good, and we're just trying to go in between that. And, you know, the clothing here is not sorted by gender, it's just by size. With these clothing swaps, Polana is trying to meet a need that she sees in the community, especially for transgender people as they're beginning their gender transition. Looking like you want yourself to look is really important. And some people do face that obstacle of not being able to afford a bunch of clothes once they start their transition. And also people who are transitioning are typically throwing out a whole bunch of clothes of another gender. And then there's just these cycles that could play into each other much better. And uh, we're hoping to bridge that gap. You're like starting from zero sometimes, right? Just a completely new wardrobe? Totally, yeah. Um, I mean, I am transgender and I had that same experience about three years ago where... You know, like on top of looking at, you're looking at your therapist bill, your doctor bill, you're getting blood work done, you need these new medications, and you need, you know, like an entirely new wardrobe, which is something that most people don't refresh very often. And it is week by week, you're like, what can I afford? Can I get, I'm going to get two pairs of pants this week, that, that'll be great. Next week I can get a couple shirts that'll be more of a feminine fit for myself. Yeah, so we're hoping to accelerate that process for some people today. And actually, Polana had donated some clothes to the swap herself. This is the last uh, kind of like male-designed collared shirt that I purchased. Okay. It's got these little like faded leaf prints on it. It looks a little bit like pot, I'll be real. Um, 
and I never really even wore it. It was I I got it, and like pretty quickly after, I was like, all right, I'm done with ties. I'm done with collared shirts. This and that. And um, it sat in my closet because I feel like there was some value to it. It was like, oh, it's the last time I'm probably going to buy a shirt like that. And well, how does it feel to like get rid of this shirt, this last shirt that you bought? One, it feels so good to get rid of this shirt. <laughs> I, yeah, I just wouldn't wear it. It's not my thing. <laughs> You're listening to The Second Greatest Show on Earth from New Hampshire Public Radio. I'm Justine Paradise, and today, the power of clothes. Five people invite us to take a peek inside their closets to see what's there, and the ways clothing has changed how they live. I'm finally at a point in my life where what I wear isn't a thing anymore. I mean, it is, but now I have all the clothes that I genuinely want. Like, I can just go in my closet and pick something. For the most part, I'm going to feel comfortable in it. Now, some might say fashion is frivolous, but the choices we make about our style are signals. Even if you decide you don't care about fashion, that you don't want to participate, that itself is a signal, a choice that communicates something about you. Clothes can be an outward expression of who we are, what we value, and what we want to say about ourselves. For instance, a carefully rolled cuff might speak to an eye for subtlety. A tiny gold nose ring, perhaps you don't play by the rules. Or the sweep of a neckline might be the first step towards saying, finally, I am a woman. I think when you're trans, that pretty much clothing, it's kind of what makes people see you as the gender that you want to be seen as. So it's really important for us. Um, it's not all about what being trans is. There's so much more of a mental thing. There's so much more of an inner thing with it. But outwardly expressing it is a very important part, especially when you're in the beginning of a physical transition. But sometimes clothing can be an imperfect vehicle to translate identity. It's too complex, and an outfit can misfire. Some things you think are really cool and cute, and and, that, and then you realize, I can't wear that out in public. <laughs> but it's often in those missteps, the gaps, that can tell us the most about ourselves. It was like finally finding clothes that fit after wearing too tight clothing for all your life, or maybe seeing color for the first time. It's not in my wildest dream did I think I'd become such a public figure as I am today. I was a person that hid in the shadows. You'd, I didn't want people to see me because I wasn't comfortable with myself. And now I'm proud of who I am. I let people know. And a lot of times it's through the clothes I wear. This is Jerry Kennan. She's a transgender woman living in Summersworth, New Hampshire. I'm now the, the Honorable Jerry Cannon, uh, New Hampshire State Representative for Stratford County District 18. Loving life here. After a 30-year career at a computer company and stints as a master carpenter and as a truck driver, Jerry settled in Summersworth and last year ran for state office. But before that, she raised a family and for decades lived and presented as a man. I didn't come out until I was 40, 45, 46, somewhere in that range. Um, I had known since I was a teenager that I was different. That was back in the 1960s. I said, you know, this is something that's just wrong with me. I'll, it'll, it'll go away. And um, 
know, I'll graduate from high school, I'll go off to college, I'll, go, I'll get married, we'll have kids. And each of those points I said, oh, I'll, it'll go away, it'll go away. Didn't go away. So sometimes when she was alone, Jerry would cross-dress. When I had free moments after, in less home alone or if I was on the road, I'd go off and buy some women's clothing and I'd just be myself if I was sitting in a hotel room trying to get out of that hotel room for the longest time. I'd open the door, I'd go to walk out, and it was like there was a big plane, a pane of bulletproof glass that I couldn't get past. What kinds of things would you buy and, and wear in the hotel room? I bought skirt suits. I was a business professional. I still, I'm, I've always been a business professional. As a guy, I wore three-piece suits and ties every day until they relaxed the standards. I, I really appreciated seeing well-dressed women in, in business clothing. Um, there was that. Um, there were also the short skirts and, and uh, fishnet stockings and all that. And you've got to go through the little, you've got to go through puberty all over again, but in another gender. <laughs> <laughs> and 20, you know, 20 to 30 years older. Almost everyone I talked to mentioned this idea of a second puberty. And of course, a giant part of puberty is experimentation with clothing. For instance, at the clothing swap, Polana Belkin told me that after leaving behind that drab pot leaf shirt, one of the first things she bought was a Victoria Beckham bright orange mod dress. There's a few months right at the beginning where it's, you just look like a highlighter every day because you're like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then you balance it out and you're like, I can do a little bit of that but under my overalls, under my <laughs> whatever. Um, I think most people are kind of aware of that process that they go through in the first months of maybe coming to themselves when you have to be the teenage version of yourself again, at least for a few months, if not for a few years. Trying something on, thinking like, yeah, I really like this, wearing it one or two other times and be like, no, I don't like this actually. Rhea Jasmine is a 30-year-old trans woman living in Plastow, New Hampshire. In her early outfits as a woman, it was really important to her to strongly express femininity. I had a couple of really ugly, uh, like, uh, like long skirts. They were very um, Little House on the Prairie, and they just are not my style. And no, no offense to anyone whose style it is, but they don't look good on me, and they just are not for me. We will pick the wrong sizes. We will wear things that are too tight. Lots of spandex stuff. It's like, no, girl, don't do that. <laughs> That's Jerry Cannon again. For her, age has become more of a factor when she thinks about clothes and experimentation. Jerry's 66 now, and she describes her style as upscale. Her closet is full of printed skirts, lace-trimmed tops, floral dresses, and beautiful, soft sweaters. Yes. Oh, that's oh. so soft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love clothes that make me feel good. And a lot of the, the soft things are just the wonderful part about, about being a woman is you can, you can wear those things. I could wear a pink shirt as a guy and pull it off, but to, to wear something as, as pretty as that, this sweater you never could. <laughs> it's just sad that men can't wear soft things, you know? No, I know it. Looking for yourself and finding your style can take time. And sometimes labels can actually get in the way. My name is Jason Daigle. I am 30 years old. 
on Aquarius. This is Jason, or Jace. He works as a bartender and spends a lot of time playing guitar. And he's a trans man living in Elliott, Maine, right over the border from New Hampshire. On the afternoon we talk, he's wearing gauged earrings with tiny octopuses on them, blue jeans, and a long-sleeve maroon t-shirt that matches his necklace. The staple items, I guess you could say, is my stone. I always have some sort of a stone on, or crystal, and I always have a hat on for the most part. I have some sort of baseball cap. Um, always been a hat person since I was just since I was a kid. I always make a joke that I've had a hat on since I came out of the womb. <laughs> My mother, from a very young age, always told me that I was just a tomboy. I was a girl who liked boy things, and that was okay. And because she gave me tomboy to hold on to, I just held on to that, and I never questioned my gender. Jace's style has always had a bit of a skater edge. As a teenager, he'd ride his bike to the skate park at 6 a.m., skate for an hour and a half, go to school, and then come back and skate till dark. He shopped at Hot Topic, played guitar, and wore band t-shirts and parachute pants with big pockets and chains. It was a music thing, is what you would do. I was really into Ozzy Osbourne. I dyed my hair hot pink and um, like platinum blonde, which matched my guitar, the hot pink of my guitar. So that was quite the statement. That was all I did. I spent all my time um, just skating and playing music. But again, he did all this moving through life as a girl. And in junior year, Jace got a girlfriend. For some reason, she and I did not identify very well with the word lesbian. Just didn't fit. Neither of us could really figure out why, but it just didn't work for us. And but I mean, that's what made other people comfortable to label us as. We're like, yeah, I mean, it, technically you're not wrong. So whatever, that is what it is. And around the time they started dating and Jay started living with this label, he went through a drastic change in his style. I went a little bit more, I don't even want to say it, <laughs> kind of preppy, like a, like a female preppy, preppy type thing. Like I had V-necks. With As Jay says this word, preppy, he actually physically cringes. It's clear that now he does not identify with this word or look at all. So why'd he do it? I think it was just the pressure. I think because I was identifying as a lesbian and before I was very tomboyish. So I didn't know that I was transgender at the time. So it very well could have been me oppressing a, a side of myself where if I'm going to identify, if I'm going to be a lesbian, I need to show that I'm a girl with a girl and not trying to be a boy with a girl, you know, because at that time that wasn't a thing. I didn't even know it was possible. It's like Jace knew something was off. It was true that there was a conflict, but the terms of the conflict were wrong. So his solution to dress more like a girl didn't work. My girlfriend at the time and I really didn't know why that didn't work, but later obviously found out that she was still a straight woman who loved, who liked men. And I was just happened to be a, a male trapped in a female's body. And that's why the word lesbian just didn't fit because neither of us were lesbians, you know. The preppy style didn't last too long. Later, when a girlfriend introduced him to a documentary about growing up transgender, he recognized himself and decided to transition. It was like, this is me. I have to do this. As Jay started to transition, he came to realize he was uncomfortable with the feminine shape of his body. So he wore baggy t-shirts for a while, until he discovered this thing. There's a thing called a binder, um, a compression vest type thing that you can put on to help flatten your chest, which once I discovered one of those and invested in it, that was kind of the savior to get back to my old style. His old style, to be able to wear t-shirts that fit. 
Eventually, Jace got top surgery and spent the rest of his 20s working in restaurants and traveling and returning to Maine, where he now works as a bartender. What's that? Can we look at your closet? Absolutely. Let's do it. (laughs) All right, can you give me the tour? Yes. So, I always needed a place for hats because, remember, I walked out of the womb with a hat on. Um, So I have... These days, Jace's closet is pretty tidy and orderly. It's got a row of flat bell skater hats, stone necklaces hanging neatly above the mirror, a little tin of gauged earrings. Everything that he wants is out in the open and on display. And that seems true in other parts of his life as well. For instance, Jace specifically identifies not as a man, but as a trans man. A lot of the world would just be like, why don't you just call yourself a man? Why are you going to identify as a transgender man? Why don't you just identify as a man now? You pass, you have had your surgery, your documents all say male. Why do you still identify as a transgender male and not just a man? Jace says putting trans in front of the word man is a stamp of pride. I get the impression that after the labels tomboy and lesbian, Jace is not about to be reduced to the wrong label again. And removing trans from his identity would be a form of erasing part of his life. My personality completely reflects the fact that I was once a woman. Um, and an adult woman at that. I, wasn't, I was 19, almost 20 years old when I transitioned, so I'd already developed as a woman. And I had already been respected and disrespected as a woman just for being a woman. And now being a man, I've been respected and disrespected as a man simply for being a man. And to slight either of those experiences by just fitting me into this box society wants me to fit in just doesn't make sense. Coming up next on Second Greatest, how to dress like a bad boyfriend on purpose. That's after the break. Stay with us. I'm Raya. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are you? This is Raya and Maggie Jasmine and their three-year-old toddler, Alex. What's your name, baby? Alex. For them, Raya's gender transition was a journey they went through together as a married couple. So clothes really started it. Yeah. Yeah, clothes really started it for me. Clothes were what helped me realize who I was. Raya is 30 years old. She's a senior software engineer and her transition is pretty recent. The first time Rhea dressed in women's clothing, they were just having a casual night having some friends over. It was just one of those nights when we were doing makeup and playing video games and watching dumb YouTube videos and, you know. Rhea had expressed an interest in trying some women's clothing. So one of their friends had brought over a few things. She let me borrow some of her clothes because we were the same size. And um, that was the first time I, I wore women's clothing. What were you wearing? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I was wearing a black corset um, with, I think, black tights and knee-length uh, pleather-heeled boots. And a miniskirt. And a black, oh, a black pleather miniskirt. Do you remember like, how you felt or like, what, what did you observe in that moment? It was definitely an adjustment because I had never seen her in women's clothes before. Um, Never mind something with cleavage. So, (laughs) so so it was kind of um, it, it was definitely something that 
took a hot minute to get used to. So it was not, um, for me, it was not an automatic, like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, it was like, whoa, okay, all right. This is something that I need to think over and, you know, kind of patch into my idea of who I'm married to. It was a big change. But Maggie wasn't starting from zero. She's actually non-gender conforming in the way she dresses. My closet, you know, I have lace shirts and, you know, dresses and stuff like that. Um, but I also have suits. You know, I th- there are definitely days where I go boy mode and I have a snapback on and a button down. And, and I just look like... I look like a bad boyfriend in the summertime is what I look like. Yeah. (laughs) On the day we met, Maggie was wearing high-waisted orange velvet pants and a white crop top t-shirt with the word babes printed over and over again in block letters. She describes her style as futch, combination femme and butch. And she's pretty deliberate in how those aesthetics can be used to send a message. For instance, if I don't want to talk to anybody and I don't want anyone to talk to me, I will dress like trash. You know, do you find that the talk to me, don't talk to me vibes in clothing, do they fall in in gendered lines? I mean, for me, yes, where we where we live. So Maggie was already quite aware of how deeply gender and clothes and identity intersect. And after Rhea officially came out as trans and after a few months of conversation, it was actually Maggie who helped Rhea make the leap to start HRT, hormone replacement therapy. She could tell I was I was ready. And she was ready, but I was waiting for like no reason. And she's just like, just do it, just do it. And so in May, I started HRT. But then it was time to build a whole new wardrobe. It sounds like before your transition, you were maybe a little disinterested in fashion. Would that be accurate? I would say that would be extremely accurate. I was wearing the wrong clothes. I was wearing clothes that were just completely not made for me. I mean, they, they were made for, for men, and I wasn't. So Maggie and Rhea's mom took her shopping. And the two of us would just be throwing things into the dressing room, like, try this, try this, try this. Do you need another size? Try this, try this, try this. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of trying to kind of get her to express, yes, I like this, no, I don't think I like this, you know, and and say kind of what I could see on her face when she would come out of the dressing room. You know, if she came out of the dressing room, she was kind of slouching or, you know, wasn't looking happy. I could tell that was not the right garment. Um, But, you know, when she would come out of the dressing room and she was standing up a little bit taller, then I knew that was something that we should probably get and take home. I think it was and still is a struggle um, because Part of it is trying to figure out, not only just trying to figure out what I think looks good on myself, but trying to wear things that um, you know, other people think look good on me too. So I was constantly looking, especially for Maggie's approval, because I wanted to make sure that not only I liked what I looked, but she liked the way I looked too, because it's a big adjustment for both of us. And I wanted to make sure, and still want to make sure, that we find each other attractive. After we talk for a while, we go upstairs, and Rhea and Maggie show me their closets. Maggie actually learned to sew and make her own clothes a couple of years ago, so she shows me some of her custom-made button-downs. Yeah. So this is, this is one of the garments that I actually taught myself to sew with. 
And they have a lot of totally unique pieces, including... unreal. I've never seen a print like this. (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, Maggie made this for me. Uh, um, This is probably my favorite skirt to wear. It is cats. It is a cat that is half mermaid, half cat, uh, that is sitting on top of a piece of salmon sushi. And the first time I wore it out was uh, to Pride last year. So it holds a lot of really emotional value to me. As she built her wardrobe as a woman, Rhea went through a purge, where she got rid of almost everything from pre-transition. She did end up keeping a suit because, as she said, women look really good in suits. So as soon as she feels confident that she'll pass as a woman in a jacket, she says she'll be wearing it. Rhea's relationship to fashion was only able to flourish once she found her gender identity. But others arrive at their style at different times in life, like Kim Cummings. She never went through a purge because she started expressing her style much earlier. Well, just can you describe like what you're wearing today, like for the radio? Like, yeah. what is what is your hair? What is your clothes? What's your makeup? Okay, so today I was in a rush. I had a laser appointment in Watertown, Mass, at 11 a.m. So I'm in leggings. I'm in some. Nike running shoes, I'm in a pink crop top with a 22-inch wig on. (laughs) So very casual, besides the hair. Kim is 19 years old, a trans woman also from Summersworth. Earlier this year, she moved to Georgia, hoping to go to school to study fashion. Kim Kardashian is one of her major style and life inspirations. And like Maggie, Kim has a sophisticated understanding of the different levels style can function. For instance, these days she describes her style as mom chic. Mom chic? So for me, fashion can be ugly, but it can be kind of cute, like ugly, tacky, cute. So like that's kind of my new vibe is like a whole mom that has like a minivan and she just like is like casual and just like is on the go. So a nice mule, a nice jean and like a plain shirt. To be clear, you're not a mom. You're like, oh, this is yes. mom chic. Yes, just like mom vibes always. So Kim's actually a bit of a public figure in Summersworth. She's a longtime frequenter of Teetotaler, the cafe where Polana held her clothing swap. And Kim has been featured prominently in Teetotaler's ad campaigns, most notably on a big billboard outside of the downtown. So it was me posing. And I also have the pink crop top with me that I was in. Yeah. And the tagline was, I like my men like I like my coffee. And so this is the crop top that I brought. Can you describe it? It's a light baby bubblegum pink. Um, my hands sewed the bottom. And people were very shocked to see a man posing, I don't want to say sexually, but posing in a way that a woman would. Because it wasn't a normal thing in Summersworth. It just wasn't. So even though Kim is only a few months into her transition, her style has been pretty feminine for a long time. So my first conscious, like, I guess, rebellion about clothing and about me being a male and doing it was probably short shorts. So I think I was in sixth grade and I was just like, I don't want to wear long shorts. Like, I'm not about to do that. So I think that they were from, like, Kohl's or something. They were men's originally, but, like, I had rolled them up. They were, like, a khaki. So I, like, rolled them up so they looked like girl shorts. And, like, that was my style in, like, sixth grade. (laughs) Probably wasn't, like, the best, but, yeah. It worked. Yeah, it improved. (laughs) After short shorts came crop tops, and then heels. Growing up, 
I always felt just like not as masculine. And so when I wanted to wear heels, I was like, oh my God, like this is gonna be it. Like this is gonna be like the thing that like people are gonna be like, oh my God, like he is a woman. And so I can recall texting my friend and telling him that I wanted to wear heels. I think it was Kim Kardashian's like gold strappy heels or something. And I texted him a pic and I was like, I think I wanna wear these. And he was like, oh yeah, go ahead. And I felt ashamed after. And I didn't wear heels like for another like four to six months after. How did that change to being like, okay, today's the day? Well, I mean, with anything, I always say fear means go. So like, you have to do it. So anything that I was scared about, I felt like I eventually would have to do. So might as well just do it. So for me, it was the summer and I was in Charlotte Ruse and I was just like, let's just do this. So I got these like booty heels that I wouldn't wear now. Um, they were like zipper up, they were like a little chunk like wood wedge and they were black, matte black. And I can recall leaving the store and I was just like, oh my God, did I just, like, I was like, did I just buy these? Like, oh my God, like no way. And then I was like, oh my God, I finally just have to wear them. And so I can recall coming down my stairs and I was just like, oh my God, this is it. So clonking down my stairs, and then my sister sees me and she's like, what are you wearing? And I'm just like, it is what it is. And I just like left the house and I went over to my friend's place and they were all like, amazing, like great, it looks so good. And so that's what style originally, well, that's what fashion originally was for me. It was conquering my fears. It's like this rush. It's like this head rush, it's this body rush. You're like, I am invincible. It's just, it's like, it's almost like magic, honestly. <laughs> That is it for this episode of The Second Greatest Show on Earth. This story was produced by me, Justine Paradise, back in 2019, with help from Jimmy Gutierrez, Daniela Ali, Jackie Halbert, Ben Henry, Hannah McCarthy, and Nick Capodice. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is hot sauce in my bag, swag. Special thanks to Citizens Count, Falana Belkin, Emmett Soldati, and Stephanie Donnell. Music in this episode came from Broke for Free, Nocturim, Ikimashu Aoi, Ari De Niro, Ryan Little, Revolution Void, and Blue Dot Sessions. The Second Greatest Show on Earth is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.